What's up, everybody? Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever you are catching this podcast. Just want to get up front and let you know, you know, my girl, my ace in the hole, my in crime, Poochie, she is on vacation. So I will be doing this alone today. Um, don't plan on this being a long podcast or a long episode, but um I wanted to send her a shout out and say happy birthday is her birthday weekend. So I hope she is enjoying herself. Um, So with that being said, um, I'm going to get into a topic today that um, probably we haven't touched on. And uh, I'm sure it's probably in the news a lot. Um, Maybe you guys have seen it, but it's a lot going on about um, environmental racism. So, um, reason why I wanted to touch this topic is because it seems to be happening more and more. So I'm going to ask that you bear with me because I know this is not, you know, your typical um, relationship topic or such like that, that we, you know, talk about more often than not. But I wanted to take this opportunity since I'm here alone and um, I'm able to just kind of venture off just a little bit here. So, um, Again, the reason why I brought this topic up is because, you know, it's been in the news a lot lately. And one of the things that keeps coming to mind or keeps showing up is uh, what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi. If you're not familiar with it, um, they're going through a bull water um, situation where the government has told them that they need to boil their water before they use it. Uh, the governor had actually came out once and said um, that they should not use the water um, because of the contaminants that's in it. Now, uh, the big reason why I wanted to bring this to your attention is because I've noticed that over the years, um, every time there is a boil water um, emergency uh, implementation or if there is a water shortage or if there's contaminated water, it seems to seem it seems to f- always find its way around the majority, I mean minority um, neighborhoods, minority cities and towns, or uh, people who are less fortunate. I would say. Um, so I said I wanted to look into this and try to see what actually is happening. Is this something that is truly happening, or is this just? You know, my head running wild. I just happened to notice it because of Jackson and because of Flint, Flint, Michigan, that I'm speaking of. So I did a little bit of research and I wanted to go over with you guys kind of a snippet of the research that I found. So um, when I looked into it, I found that uh, Haynesville, Alabama, this is where it actually all started. Um, This started back in 1978. So this is when the term and the whole approach to environmental uh, racism actually started. It was in a little town called uh, Haynesville, Alabama, which inside of that was, uh, it was 75% black. So I started to look at them like, okay, wait a minute. Jackson has a lot of uh, minorities as well. So I kept looking into it, looking into it and I said, okay, now 
it started to get heavier around Warren County, North Carolina, um, which is another area that it kind of started to breed um, its own and started to come into fruition as far as environmental um, racism goes. So I kept on looking, kept on looking, and I started to come across, of course, Flint, Michigan, which happened in 2014. So I said, let me look at the population of these places because you know that's going to make the difference and try to make make the case if there is a case for there being environmental racism. So I looked into it and I saw that you know Flint, Michigan is um, 53% black, 5% other, not white, um, and 5% Hispanic. So what does that mean? They are 63% minority. So they're mostly almost two thirds um, minority. Okay. So start looking into a little bit more. And when I looked into it more, came across North uh, and South Dakota, the border between North and South Dakota. This is small area called Standing Rock Reservation. And if you hear the word reservation, that kind of makes your ears perk up like reservation. That must be that must have something to do with Indians and tribes and such like that. And yes, it does. So when I looked into that one in 2016, there was this thing called the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. Feel free to look that up. That was in 2016. Looked into the demographic of that as far as the race as far as race goes and found out that that was 78 percent indian um so again we're starting to see a little trend here so i kept on going and looked at newark new jersey um in 2017 they had this issue there's 69 i'm sorry 89 percent minority okay so i kept going of course today's world, we have Jackson, Mississippi, which is 82% black, overall 84% minority. And most recently, that hasn't been in the news a lot, but it is happening. Um, Benton Harbor, Michigan, that is also this year. 84% um, black, but overall is 89% minority. So you have all these towns in these states where they're having these issues with the water and so forth. And they all seem to follow, you know, the the towns that are struggling, the towns that are mostly minority lived in. Um, you don't see this, you know, spanning across um, townships and counties that are majority, you know, Caucasian. You just don't see that. And when you do see that, they're handled expeditiously so they don't sit around go months and months and months without a um, correction to that issue but in this case it goes in our case for that example it goes six months eight months sometimes years before they figure out a way to conclude the issue that these towns and these states are having if you know a little bit about jacksonville mississippi um recently the mayor of Jackson came out and said that he was trying to get help from the governor of um, Mississippi and just wasn't getting a response. So then the governor went on the news and explained that people should not use the water 
and that he's doing everything in his power to try to rectify the situation. Now, he's doing all of this through the news. However, he's ignoring calls from the mayor of Jackson. So if you want to handle this situation, in my opinion, talk to the people there who can best help you get in tune with what's going on. Uh, they're there with the so-called boots on the ground. So why aren't you talking to the mayor of Jackson? OK, let's let's look at the demographics here. So the governor of Mississippi, white male, the mayor of Jackson, black male. So that kind of tells you right there why there's a breakdown in communication. And of course, the governor of Mississippi is a staunch supporter of the former president, which kind of lends to a little bit more into why this trend seems to keep happening. You know, if you think about it, since um, the former president was in office and even since he left office, you know, things have become a little more unsettled for the, I will say, uh, I will also say that people have become more bold um, in their stances. You know, back in the day, people would try to hide it more. So um, they would try to keep it under wraps. If you was, if you will, um, they won't flaunt it in your face. But since he came out and he was so boisterous about how he felt, and he wanted to rile up a crowd. Um, he did. Once he started doing that, the people who felt that same way, who had that same sentiment in them, they started to do the same thing. They started to become more boisterous. They started to show off more. That's why you started to see hate crime started to rise. Um, you started to see a lot of police on minority incidents and clashes happening. That's where the the Black Lives Matter movement came about the, you know, the skinheads and all of this stuff and all of that stuff just started to, you know, trickle down ever since, you know, he came into office and ever since he's left. Why do you think January 6th came about at the uh, Capitol? So this stuff just keeps turning and churning and churning. So having said that, I wanted to show you this video that I came across. This is uh, about a, a small town in Alabama. Of course, another rural minority lived um, area and kind of give you a sense of what they're going through. Um, so for you guys who are listening on uh, Spotify or Anchor, um, I encourage you to go to the website, you know, www.thelobbypodcast.com. So you can get a sense of the video um, and see what, what it's actually saying. Let's get the feel for it. Um, but here you still will be able to hear it. But I wanted you guys kind of really get a feeling for what's going on. So let me share this video with you for a moment here. Just give me a second. Let me share my screen here. Residents like 78-year-old Catherine Canyon are just trying to survive in squalid conditions. If I go in there, if it rains, and take a shower, or flush my stew, the waste coming back up, sometimes my kitchen sink. So I don't use dishes. I use pet plates. It got me disgusted. The sewage pooling below her trailer is rotting the floors. 
recently she says she broke her arm falling through the floor but she can't afford to fix it or to move how do you feel living in this state trapped trapped nowhere to go but we just have to pray and have faith so that kind of gives you a sense of how people are dealing with this um the things that they're seeing on a daily basis and i encourage you if you're in that if you're near um this town loudon or anywhere that may be struggling I, I i implore you if you can assist or help out please do so if you can send water um food or if, if there's a red cross that's taking donations and so forth in those areas then i implore you to please assist um this should not be going on and the richest country in the world, not just the richest company on the Western Hemisphere, but the actual richest country in the world. This should not be happening. If we can send $8 billion to Ukraine and so forth to help them fight a war, why can't we take that same dollar amount and put it into our own country? That $8 billion going into our own country could probably solve you know, hunger our country for all that matters you know let's just just think about it we're not talking about eight million dollars eight billion dollars that can solve a lot of domestic issues that we see going on in our country today so to dive into this just a little bit more there is this uh governmental act that came into place in 1974 called the self the safe drinking water act so that came about in, in 1974 so this law says that the APA is to identify and regulate drinking water uh, contaminants through national health standards. So what this means is if there is a water system that has a, that serves at least 25 people from that one water system, then this law applies to it. So typically, this is probably 99 percent of the water uh, waste systems and stuff like that that's going around this country. So. That tells you there's a lot of stuff that's been going on over the years in order for them to put something in place like this. Um, so later on after that, they came up with this National Environmental Justice Advisory Council. This came about in 2016. So what was this developed for? So the, the APA gave this, this uh, company or this council um, recommendations for how they can better serve and correct these issues so if the apa and the government if they were doing their job there would be no need for this council so they're looking to this council in order to give the apa recommendations on what they should do in order to correct the situation when it comes to water contaminants and so, so forth with all of these you no know, counties and states so this is what they said. There have been over 129 million violations since 2016. 129 million violations. Now, what does that mean? Those violations that took place actually was um, in the areas where they serve 40% of the actual US population. Okay, so put that into context and just think about that for a moment. 
129 million violations have taken place in that short period of time. And those violations actually touched 40% of the U.S. population. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that makes absolutely no logical sense that the richest country in the world has 40% of its population going through issues with just the basic of good drinking water or bathing water or cooking water. It just doesn't make any sense. And for us to sit in this country and just keep delving out money to other countries to help them out. Don't get me wrong. I know those countries need help. Um, I understand that, but we should not be the world police either. You know, we shouldn't be the uh, saving the world kind of country. Um, we should be a part of it. But we should not be the only ones that's just putting that out there. So uh, a couple of things that this agency or this council will give to the EPA as far as their recommendations were stuff like they require that the government treat water as a human right. I think that that's a dead, dead on sentence right there require that the government treat water as a human right. You can't live without the water. You know, water is in, even in our foods, you know, you go buy fruit and most of your fruit, especially when it comes to oranges and pears and watermelon and stuff like that, those fruits are 90% water anyway, but you can't grow them if you don't have water to feed the roots and to feed the plants. Same thing with the trees, you know, but for us, if we do not get clean drinking water, we have to understand that this is a human right. Okay. We can have the argument about, you know, abortion. Is that a woman's right? You know, we can have an argument about that, about education. Is that a human right? You know, because there's countries out there who will pay fully for, you know, their, their um, populations, you know, college education. But when it comes to water, I think that's a no brainer. That should be automatically a human right. Um, they request that Congress allocate more funding to help communities with infrastructure building, infrastructure building, oversight and public health protection. No brainer. Promote affordable water and waste water rates. That seems like a no brainer as well. And I give you one more uh, build community capacity in water systems. So to me, I think it seems like they have brought all of this stuff to the minds and to the table and to the forefront of the government and to the EPA. And here we are, you know, this started back in 2016. And here we are in 2022, six years later, and we still have not seen any changes that would, you know, be recognizable. Um, it seems like things are getting worse. Um, and that goes to the fact that who are we voting for and putting in these offices? You know, I know we see people who are saying, you know, I can't, it's no need for me to vote because it's not going to change anything. Um, they're going to put in office who they want. Yeah, I understand that. I get all that. I was saying the same thing when I was younger, you know, that my vote didn't count. How's my one vote? going to change the outcome of an election when there's probably somebody behind the scenes pulling the strings anyway. But we've seen over the years 
how people have changed um, the outcome of our democracy, uh, changed the outcome of our economic state uh, status by people voting. You know, sometimes the margin between the winner and the loser is so small. I mean, it's so small that, you know, you can take your, your neighborhood and it's probably the size of your neighborhood is what the difference is between somebody winning and losing an election. So we need to take that serious. You know, if you have something that you are fighting for, something that you are dead set on, something that your heart aches for and your candidate is looking to help you in that area, then please go out there and vote for that candidate. You know, regardless of which party affiliation you have, please put your best foot forward and go out there and vote for that candidate. I think everything, every time we go out there and we vote, I think it shows our candidates, it shows those individuals that we mean business and that we're not just putting someone in place just to make a buck or just to have their own private or personal agenda. We're looking to put someone in place to make sure that they, in turn, work for the people that's where they're getting their paychecks from okay so i want to end this with another video a little clip and this one kind of for lack of better words this one kind of disgusted me this kind of popped up in the news about a, about a week ago um and it's still ongoing and it's, it's still developing um but just a quick 10 second background on this ex-football player Brett Favre. He's being accused of allegedly using funds that were slated for um, the, the impoverished uh, people, uh, the welfare needed people of Mississippi. More importantly, Jackson. And he was allegedly taking money for speaking engagements that he did not even uh, take part in and it comes to find out that he uh, used money or worked out a way with the governor to use money to build a new tennis court I believe it is for his daughter's school or college actually it's the college that he went to um, that he graduated from and then when she started going there he solicited for funds and what they try to do is they try to word the uh the rec the request so that nobody will find out that it was you being used for something as mediocre as a, a tennis court instead of going to the needy folks of the state of mississippi so let me show you this clip in this you know kind of tell me what, what you think about this on the other side Some of us were blessed with households that, that you got what you needed at home. Others are not so fortunate. But as first reported by Mississippi Today, newly revealed text messages filed in an ongoing civil lawsuit show Barb was part of a scheme that funneled at least $5 million of welfare funds to build a new volleyball stadium at the University of Southern Volleyball, my mistake. Barb graduated and his daughter played. The tax show former Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant pushed for the facility, despite denying close involvement. The scandal centers around the misuse of a welfare program called Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. 
federal regulations prohibit states from using that money to construct buildings. So the parties crafted an agreement that looked like it satisfied the law. A friend of the former governor's wife, Nancy New, would submit a $5 million upfront lease to use the university's athletic facilities for her nonprofit's programming, ostensibly for needy families, in exchange for offices inside the new volleyball complex. Former welfare agency director John Davis approved $4 million immediately. Now you see here how deep this is going. Uh, you see that they've getting they're getting everybody involved in this scheme. They're starting to text each other and trying to figure out how to cover this up so that it, nobody knows about it. Barb texting in gray tells you that the governor has seen the proposal, but hint hint, you need to reword it to get it accepted. He adds, hopefully she can put more details in the proposal, like how many times the facility will be used and for what specific purpose. I really feel like he's trying to figure out a way to get it done without actually saying it, says Barb, the former governor. Barb also received $1.1 million in welfare funding through the Mississippi Community Education Center. Now, he personally got $1 million and he stuck that in his pocket. Now, he, and, and you know, as it turns out, he did pay it back, but he only turned it, you know, paid it back because the pressure was coming on him. Now, we, should, we all should know that Brett Favre is not hurting for money. If he really wanted that volleyball court built, he could have did it himself. But, you know, he found out a way to take it out of the, the hands and take it out of the mouths of the people who actually needed the money. For speaking at events, he never showed up to. Favre asks New, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? Barb has repaid the money. Wow. State auditors want more than $200,000 in interest. Barb's attorney denies the former QB knew that money came from a welfare. Right, yeah, right. Describing his claim as honorable throughout this whole thing. Yeah. So I don't see any honor in those text messages if he's trying to figure out a way how to cover it up to make sure that the media don't find out that he got that money. If that was a case, you know, he sh he has no he has no well, no footing to stand on, you know, at this point. So when I saw that that video, I was like, oh my God, this is so disgusting. And I and I was a Brett Favre fan, not a Green Bay Packer fan. So you no know, on that topic, but I was a Brett Favre fan. You know, I'm sure everybody, you know, has a favorite player or a player that they like. But they just might be on a team that you're just not fond of and so forth. And that's, that's how I was. You know, I was a Brett Favre fan. But now seeing how this is being handled and seeing how he um, is handling himself outside of football, you know, this this kind of puts a new light on him as the man versus the, the football player. So um, I hope you guys Got some good information from this today. Um, I know it's not what you're used to listening to. Um, listen to me and Poochie going back and forth on certain topics and so forth. Um, maybe not even the, the relationships thing or you know that sort of thing. But I just wanted to, this was on my heart today. So I wanted to bring it to your attention and kind of, to, kind of uh, show you guys what's actually going on out there and kind of see it from a different perspective, try to take it a little bit deeper than what you see on the surface on TV sometimes. Sometimes there's more stuff going on behind the scenes that you just might not be aware of. That's why I wanted to give a little bit of a historical 
perspective to the environmental racism that I spoke of earlier. So um, I want to tell you guys, I appreciate you guys listening in. Um, feel free to you know check us out on my website. Like I said earlier, www.thelobbypodcast.com. Um, you can see all of our past um, episodes uh, from season one and from season two. Um, pick them at your leisure. Um, we're on pot. We were on um, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. You know, so feel free to check us out. And I want to add, uh, I think I said this a couple episodes ago, I have started my own separate uh, podcast, which I'm doing alone. Um, so I ask you to uh, tune in to that. Um, I'm going to be starting that um, on the 25th. Uh, so that'll be uh, 26, actually. That'll be my, my first uh, episode. Um, but go to my Instagram, which you see right there at the bottom of the screen. Check me out on Instagram. And you'll see, you kind of get a taste of the things that I'm going to be talking about. And on Saturday, I actually have a premiere kind of informational uh, episode where it's just going to go more in tune about what I'm going to be discussing, the topics going to be discussing. Um, it's going to be a little bit more, um, I'm going to say adult oriented, sort of like this topic is right here. It's going to be a lot more informational, uh, you know, when it comes to health and your self-awareness, um, mental health. Um, it's going to be a, a myriad of different things. But I, I ask you to you know, check that out. Um, that'll be up, up by Saturday on YouTube. So look for me there. If you have any questions, by all means, shoot me an email um, at core underscore facts at yahoo.com. And um, I'll get back to you. I promise I'll get back to you. Or you can just send me a comment on my Instagram. Send me a message and I'll make sure to get back to you as soon as I can. All right. And uh, I guess that was it for the day. And um, I will see you guys next in, in two weeks. And Pooch will be back at that time. And we'll just, you know, keep that ball rolling like we usually do. So until then, guys, peace. Happy